0: Well, well, uh, welcome back to the Smart Nonsense Podcast. I'm Henry. That is Dylan laughing his butt off. It. Uh, what do we do on Smart Nonsense? We talk about entrepreneurship, self-development, challenging norms. Today, Dylan, we're talking about Zero to One, the book by Peter Thiel, also known as Peter Thiel. I don't know who or what his name is, you but I say Thiel. You
1: what podcast episode this was right oh, before. Oh, it's 45. I, there it is. 45. What are we doing for 50? We're doing a live stream somewhere. As long as my mom doesn't throw the router out.
0: <laughs> we, did one live st- we did one live stream and uh, I think you gave up. You said we need to do at least three. I um, got real scared. Okay, we're, we're talking about zero to one. It's the book about going from zero to one, which, uh, as Theo points out, is the hardest thing to do. Can we
1: address this right off the top? Where you been? I call him been? Teal. I call oh. him Teal the color. Is yeah. that not
0: how you say it? I don't know. I think it's, it's 50-50. I learned Teal... And then you hear anyone kind of in his realm. They say Teal. What
1: He's you, German. So you want to
0: go Teal? I'm going to go
1: Teal. I'm going to figure it out right now how to pronounce Teal. Tell us where That's, you were.
0: We're four well, hours late. What, you you got the Benz again?
1: Here, Yeah. One, I got the Benz. And immediately I want to talk about who should read this book okay. and who should listen to this podcast. But yeah, got the Benz. We're coming in a little bit late. But I did so much preparation for this. I am psyched. So, Belky. Uh one, I guess you're still researching. So I wanna talk about who should read this book and what the hell zero to one means. Yes. Because well one understand. It's teal. teal. All right. Peter Teal. Confirmed. Peter Teal, he we gotta understand him because he is a a quirky intellectual Silicon Valley stud. And I guess we gotta start in the nineties, and in ninety eight and ninety nine, that's when they jumped into PayPal. Please so, give us one of your history lessons. <laughs> it's not going to be that in-depth. So he gets into PayPal with his little PayPal mafia, just like, I don't know, a handful of dudes that end up starting seven other billion-dollar companies after PayPal. But he gets in that interesting kind of approach to business we'll talk about later there. And then he sells that. They sell it to eBay for over a billion. Then... Uh, he's one of the first investor or he's the first outside investor in Facebook. He gets 10% of it, sells that for a billion a couple of years ago. And then, uh, he starts Palantir, which is a big data company, which <clears throat> helps like the CIA and other sort of, uh, anti counterterrorism groups. And even like, uh, banks on wall street use big data. Also founders fund, they invest in big companies. So he's basically a billion dollar, just killer. And, uh, the what's the guy in the um, Silicon Valley show that they base off Peter Thiel?
0: Oh, um, it's probably like uh, someone like Russ Han- Hanneman. Is that the it's, guy?
1: It's the main like investor dude, the like quirky kind of Asperger's. Oh,
0: you're right. He died. Oh, spoiler alert. Um, I forget, but he's super weird. I know who you're talking about. I can't remember his name. That's a great show, by the way. If 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 we want to plug a show, Silicon Valley, it's right up go. this alley. So, Did you
1: say who this is for? No. I didn't say anything. I just said Peter Thiel. So he's talking about zero to one. And normally the world is like one to infinity or whatever. It's like how to grow a company. And usually that's just incremental improvements, you know, globally expanding the markets. But when you have this totally new innovative idea going from it not existing to now being a player in the market and ideally a monopoly, that's, that's this book. So it's all about startups. Anyone into startups should be reading it if you haven't already. Yeah. And so this was
0: kind of the second time I've gone through it. First time I was about 15. I remember being so butthurt because at the time I was deep, deep, deep in, I had a company that was, uh, we filed we were filed as a public benefit company, corporation, uh, B Corp. And uh, I remember reading Zero to One and just being like, fuck you, Peter Thiel. Like, because it was so monopolistic, so capitalistic, so for profit, you know, profit maximization. I don't think I understood it, but now going back I'm like, "Oh, no, he's very intentional with what he means by monopoly." And it's not it's not monopolists who have hijacked the the system and to profit maximize. He means monopoly in the sense that you are doing something so new and so innovative that nobody's done it before. Um, it's something that's patentable so that you can control it and create it without having to get into the nitty gritty of like perfect competition, which we can talk about. Um, and going back, I'm like, oh, okay. It's not so spiteful. Um, where do you want to start? Was this, did you the whole thing? Was this your first time?
1: No, second time. I kind of probably did the same thing. 15, 16, got into it. But I think that that happens a lot where people hear some of what he's saying and immediately just try and plug their ears and like oh this is craziness because he is so contrarian with all his ideas but what he means is not like oh i'm going to be an oil monopolist buy up all the oil companies jack up prices no it's starting a new frontier this doesn't exist that's where you want to focus your attention for a new business a new company
0: yeah i'm looking up there at one point there were here it is um there were three, there are three, basically three kinds of monopoly and then let's move on. But they, he said, um, some companies become monopolies by hi, hijacking capitalism. That's basically what I just said. And using like dirty tactics to get there. Um, a second kind of monopoly is the kind that gets like big governmental licenses and contracts. Uh, and, and that's kind of like crony capitalism, right? It's like friends hiring friends of government to do weird things. Um, but he's saying that, that that companies should want to achieve the monopoly stance that that is um, a monopoly because they are so innovative and have something so unique to offer that any competition is left in the dust. That's the difference, and that's what I didn't understand when I was fifteen year old.
1: 15 well, there isn't even old. there's no competition. Like his right. thing is, you got to be ten times better than the nearest competitor, right?
0: And. and- for for me, I was so upset because I was in one of the most competitive markets. It was uh, micro, It was multivitamins, right? And I was like, I'm not a monopoly. I'm not doing. First of all, I'm 16 and I'm in this market. Clearly, I'm not doing something super innovative, and it really bothered me at the
1: time. Um, but yeah, now now I see what he's saying. So, the the big understanding is Peter Thiel is just trying to challenge all these norms. That's why I, I kind of like him. His whole contrarian stuff. Bam, getting back into the the mission statement. But some of the norms, like this whole book is about challenging what came out of the dot-com bubble and and that bursting in the early 2000s. And so, coming out of that, he had four principles or, or widely accepted truths. So, we can go through them quickly. But one is be humble and make incremental advances. Two is stay lean and experiment agnostically. Three is don't try to create new marketing or sorry new markets suddenly and four is focus on product, not sales so these were the the main takeaways that the whole world had coming out of that that burst yeah and he's like hey these are completely wrong like we should not be having these as the main takeaways um and so that first one kind of make incremental advances that gets into like you know you want to be that totally new innovator uh i've I feel like he talked about disruptor. He doesn't like that term, but like you got to be new. You got to dominate whatever new market you're making. Yeah. And,
0: and the Valley Silicon Valley right now is so scared. Um, maybe not so much now as when he wrote the book 10 years ago. Wow. Probably wrote it five, 10 years ago. 2014. Um, 2014. Okay. Um, yeah. Like you said the the dot com bubble scared all of Silicon Valley, uh, away from the kind of big dreaming, uh, entrepreneurs, and so, that's what that's what's made Elon Musk so successful. He's he's just said screw all that or any of the the pay, the
1: PayPal or Silicon Valley mafia, uh, well, PayPal that, mafia. That's what they say because he has his founders fund, which has I think three billion or something, several billion, and he's it's a venture capital firm. So he's constantly assessing companies, and and what you have to realize is the top performer in your portfolio, that's going to outdo everything else. So if you're venture capital one, you gotta, you gotta look for the big dreamers actually like going to change the world. Um, and that's, what's funny because he asks any new hire or any new company that comes in this same question. And it's what important truth do few people agree with you on? Hmm. And I think that's something, I mean, it's funny cause he talks about this in some of his YouTube videos, but he's like uh, not his, but some videos about him where he says, this is a question that everyone knows I'm going to ask, but it's still hard like usually when the yep. questions released you can prepare for it but this one I like, say that one more time What important truth do few people agree with you on Okay wow So the the way to approach it is like all right what does everyone agree upon and then what what do you disagree about with it Okay I, that yeah that seems easier And there's but still there's a could, lot
0: I can't think of something off the top of my head I would need like 10 minutes
1: Yeah I mean, I usually think of, like, global warming. I'm not as concerned as most people are, I think. <laughs> like, that's number one for me. I think strangers being scary is Hold probably on. number two. Hold on,
0: Yeah, strangers being scary. I can get behind that. The global warming. Do you remember me, you, and our friend Tom? We were oh. driving to the airport in Tanzania. Dylan has the audacity <laughs> to say that biker... What did you say? You said... No, say okay, it. so... Say it right here. here.
1: here. Tom, Tom's like... uh I don't know, something about like he's biking to work and and I'm like, oh, that's cool. But I think people often think they're the saviors of the world, like putting solar panels or biking to work. And, you know, it's more efficient to drive in a car. Oh, if we're talking yeah. about emissions.
0: You But then you took it a step further and you said it's actually less optimal
1: to bike to work because of how much you're going to eat. Right. Because you're a human machine, which yeah. doesn't function as well as your car in terms of an engine and efficiency. So you have to somehow eat the calories, and I those get calories it. come from cows that I get where you're coming like, from. It was just a humongous argument. It went so much further than that. Um, it, but my point is, everyone agrees upon this idea that, oh, we're doing good for the world, or like, again, I mentioned like solar panels. Yeah, but, you know. Well, it, I'll give you one. I'll give you one that, that I can get behind. Like, um, everyone using
0: reusable metal straws. But that metal straw takes 8,000 times as much oil to make than the, than the plastic one, right? right. Um, it seems like this awesome idea, but in reality, it's actually probably doing more harm than good. Or, or it would take a really long time for that harm to catch up with the metal straws.
1: That's why I love this question because it, it really, it tests your ability to just Let's go on a tangerine, baby, tangerine tangent. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so that's where like the best companies you're not going to do what everyone else is doing. He talks mm. about secrets, like yeah. certain areas, certain fields there, there aren't many secrets to be discovered, like basic math, chemistry, et cetera. But there are still a ton of secrets say in the, like the health sectors or like so many fields where you can dig out these little nuggets.
0: The Somebody else said like a, a startup, an entrepreneur or startup founders are somebody who have a, I want to say like a, a keen insight on the future or something, Eh, something along those lines. I butchered it, so let's not go there. But um, yeah, in in Secrets, that chapter, it's chapter eight I've got written, um, we have this tendency to say there are no hard questions left. And what, what jumped to mind for me was physics in like the 1910s to 1920s. Everyone was like, we've got it figured out. Newton, Galileo, Einstein, like they figured it out. And then a year later, the study of quantum, they're like, physics is done. We figured it out. And then quantum mechanics comes to the forefront of science in the 1920s. It's like, we, we haven't even scratched the surface. Um, that's the best example. I, I don't like what he says. So what he says in that chapter is if you learn a secret, be careful who you share it with. It could be dangerous to reveal your knowledge. Um, as a rule of thumb, it's best not to share secrets with anyone except for those you need to tell. I'm not super on board with that. We've talked before, like nobody is going to do your secret or your thing or your insight better than you're going to do it. Um, we've also agreed on the fact that remember when Kevin Kelly was like, I tell everyone my ideas and I try and kill them. And it's the ones that keep coming back that, that I um, act upon. Now we can say, okay, Kevin Kelly, Peter Thiel, like, Who's more, who's done more, Elon Musk, you know, like in terms of secrets. Um, where do you stand on that though? Cause I, I, I'm at a point in my life, I used to be like, okay, sign an NDA, let's have this really secretive talk. And I'm like, like nobody's going to do what I'm going to do. Well, I'm
1: trying to think, like, say, take some of his companies, like, say he told someone about PayPal or something like that, send money via email. Like, it comes down to what we read in, um, What's uh, what's the book? Uh, Derek Sivers' book. Anything you want. Anything you want. Anything you want. Where all right? Uh, yeah, sure. A good idea is important, but it's the execution. Maybe because he's surrounded in Silicon Valley, where like you tell an idea, someone can take it and run with it. Like you know, the the social network is that what the Facebook yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. movie is where they, like Mark ran with that idea. Um, I don't know, but I, I think at the end of the day, execution is important, but having this truly disruptive secret idea um it, it's putting more weight on that yeah you know I what thought. now that i think about it it depends on who you are
0: and who you tell um
1: right. Right. So, you tell your high school friends eh, probably doesn't matter but you tell people in silicon valley right
0: so i'm thinking like mcdonald's right the mcdonald's brothers started uh, mcdonald's in santa barbara i believe and they had this like really awesome little mom pa hamburger place and then ray Kroc comes along and he's their salesman. They're he's selling them uh, like frosty machines, and the difference was like uh, Ray Kroc had this drive and determination to. He, he was just a shrewd business. Like he had this vision to to build out something that the two McDonald's brothers would have never done. Um, so I'm thinking, okay, if you're Ray Kroc and you tell someone your idea for McDonald's, like nobody's going to do it like you are. But if you're these kind of like slow and traditional McDonald's brothers. And someone like Ray Kroc comes around, or like you say, maybe people in the Silicon Valley, then yeah, you could be in trouble. I just feel like, in terms of execution, like my ideas, no. Nope. If if anyone's going to execute on execute on them, it's it's me, the the unemployed guy. So,
1: yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think, uh, yeah, it comes to Dude, come execution. on. What else you got for me? Well, yeah, What's your if favorite we, part? One I wanted to. All right, my favorite part. I'll talk about that. Yeah. Um. I like. I do like how he he's just uh constantly assessing the world. Uh, kind of like that Mark Twain quote of like, whenever you find yourself on the side of majority, stop and reflect, basically. And uh, and I think having that mindset constantly is good. Uh, I'm. This is more. I think it's more for like truly. Uh, game-changing uh companies but you know we can take it and i've been thinking about this myself like how can we be smart nonsense or whatever ventures that we'll talk about in the future with you how can we be 10 times better than any existing competitor for podcasts like it's it's interesting to think about how you can really innovate here um maybe it's not meant for us but it's still like what's your unique value proposition um that's did you have a
0: takeaway pap <laughs> um I, I read yeah so wow oh, i really like that uh maybe you can't monopolize right like you're not going to monopolize podcasts and uh, my next venture is something that's kind of been done in a couple of different veins but it's like yeah how can we be 10 10% percent or 10x better than the, the next person in line um I, I also like there were good takeaways in terms of building a team and building foundations um yeah, he says, like, rules should be well-defined. Small boards are better than big boards. Oh, I really like, uh, I forget where it is, but he talks about um, the CEO and CEO pay. I think there's this tendency, especially in Silicon Valley, to found something and be the CEO and then take home $2 million a year in bonuses or whatever when when you have a public offering. And what Teal says here is, like, no, the, I forget the exact dollar amount, but he's like, the CEO needs to be making no more 000. than, yeah, no more than 150,000, which should also be no more than like what, two or three X, your lowest level employees, so, something like that. And I thought for someone who's as shrewd and as monopolistic as Teal is, that that was a really um, good point. And it, it's, I mean, it's crazy, like the things people are getting paid in Silicon Valley.
1: Well, I think, I don't know if it was as binary as this, but he's like, Either they're the cap, like no one can make more than the CEO and that's good. Like you want people invested, having ownership or they're the very bottom and like they're taking no salary and just have yeah. you know, all the skin in right. the game.
0: Oh, that's that's what I really like. Um, Let me pull it up. It was a graph. Okay. The founder paradox. It's chapter 14 Um, and he's got a chart with negative traits. Th- this is getting to your point about the founders having nothing or being capped at, at the top. Or the CEO um on one side of the of, of the bell curve is negative traits on the other side is positive traits and it's a bell curve because most people are average they've got some negative traits they've got some positive traits um, things like well founders aren't normal people, and they tend to extreme those those extremes they tend to occupy the extremes of of the bell curve, and sometimes founders occupy both extremes at once. They have, like, really, really negative traits and really, really positive traits about them. Um, and the example for that is is founders or CEOs being cash poor but rich on paper.
1: Right? Am I supposed to add to this? <laughs> I, I
0: just... I was like... It, it was interesting. We We get to this all the time. It's like, why is the... Why are all the most successful founders like these immigrant founders who had nothing, who came here, who grinded? Right, they were cash poor, but they're so rich on paper. It's because of this founder paradox, where um, these founders are are these types of people that can be at both extremes at the same time of this bell curve of traits.
1: Here's what I <sighs> it just I I felt liked, like actually, us. All right, I liked how I don't know where in the book, maybe in the beginning, he talks about how. There might actually be more founders than the world needs. As in, if you're a smart person, there are so many companies that are already at one and they're just trying to go to whatever end level. They're trying to go to 100, 200, 300, whatever it is. And it's much easier to just join a Google and contribute value there uh-huh. than you know, start this totally new market and really succeed with your startup. So he's actually kind of pushing people away. It's like, hey, this shit's hard. Like, that's why so many fail. And I think it's, we're sending too many people there when maybe more should just be focused on the one through whatever phase of company. Okay, but then he's also got the Teal Fellowship to
0: bring more people into founder positions instead of going to college, right? Yeah. I guess, you know, it's limited. But they only take 20 to 30 people a year. Right, right, right. Would you, if you did it, I actually heavily consider this because, you know, Things were in line. I had a startup. It was pretty developed. And I was also a senior in high school. I was like, do I go to college or do I indulge in, in the Teal Fellowship? Um, what would you do if, if you did it again? And what was interesting was this video you sent me, which you should talk about. Um, because again, I think Peter Teal gets this rap that he's so anti-college because of his fellowship. You know, he's, he's paying entrepreneurs to not go to college. But like, that's a clickbait headline. It's not true. What does he say in terms of going to college?
1: There's a lot in that video. Uh, well, one when he talks about, all right, who is he trying to appeal to? Like his big issue is student loans and debt. Like he is fed up with people spending hundreds of thousands of dollars and really just indebting themselves to the system when it's it's really just an ins- insurance policy nowadays. Like that's, that's why you do it. I, I've said this before. Like the reason why I like the Brown degree is like, you know, I can always get a job, so it's that's insurance the insurance. There. Yeah. Um. So he's basically saying, and he says this: he's like, I would still probably go back. He went to Stanford, then Stanford Law after. He'd still go back most likely, and usually says like, "Hey, if you're in, you know, uh, one of the elite top schools, it's worth going. But if it's like a hundred, a hundred plus in terms of the rankings, it's probably not worth it. it." He says it's not worth it, maybe. But his other point is like
0: go to college fine or don't go to college fine just sit down and know why you're doing that why are you going through the motions why are you going and doing student council and being student council president and joining the football team and getting good grades and getting a perfect why why are you doing that and this is what we we're starting to talk about in every single episode is like sit
1: down and just figure out why you're doing these things i don't uh, like maybe that's That's the ultimate purpose of this podcast is just if we can get a couple people to sit down and and take out a piece of paper and write, like, why am I doing this shit? Like, that's his big question is like, you know, people just society expects me to do it. So I'm going to do it. No question society question this whole idea. And then maybe it's a truth that you don't adhere to. I I wish I
0: heard I, I did hear that because I don't think I did sit down four or five years ago and say, why am I going to college? Because I was pretty close to taking a gap year. I was pretty close to deciding, like, maybe I don't need to go to college. And then I went for the insurance, right?
1: Um, I think I it's lucky. also something that people should do on an ongoing process. Like, I kind of, I want to do it now. Like, yeah, you <laughs> know, why am I starting a podcast? I'm, You know what? Screw it. I'm going to do it today, tonight, and uh, report on it tomorrow when we talk about your venture. True. Then- so, but, what? Uh, I
0: got to come up with why I'm doing that?
1: Yeah, plus your truth that, uh... You, oh, you I got with. homework. You okay. got homework. And I don't have Uh, anywhere to write it. So I'm curious. Oh, I guess we can. I don't know if we want to harp on the whole college thing, but uh, he does say how there is the problem of like if colleges. Colleges have that signaling problem where you want to show you that you're elite. Same thing with the Teal Fellowship, which has like 0.1% acceptance rate. It's not like a Harvard is going to be like, you know what? We have such an awesome education that we're going to accept 10 times as many students this year. Because, like, come on in, learn, and, like, even online, they could do it because it's infinitely scalable now. But they're not because you don't want that elite status. And also the the interesting thing, too, with um parents that actually care. Oh, what he says is, like, he realized that life is just this ongoing tournament, this competition of, you know, uh, when you get to, say, a Brown or a Stanford or something like that, you get in and, like, oh, you made it. But what they should be telling you is like, oh, you made the first round and now there's infinite more rounds. And everyone is way better than you, you know, it doesn't stop. It never stops. So you really get a question why you're doing these certain things. Um, I'm I'm liking him more and more. I actually watched uh, this Gawker versus Teal uh, documentary with Hulk Hogan. It's I forget the title of it. Um, Nobody Speak, I think, on Netflix. Pretty good. But he was just villainized in this netflix documentary and i'm like you know when you listen Wait, to these people vilified vilified thank you villainized jesus christ vilified and, it should be
0: villainized fuck that in terms of like truths about the world that i don't agree with or that people villain, don't agree with it. you know it should be villainized <laughs> vilified
1: it's where is there an f in villain thank you thank you belky so <sighs> I, I think that's that's a lot of you know people he's uh libertarian so i find a lot of libertarians like you get their logic usually checks oh, okay. out. okay,
0: vilified doesn't... It means a completely different thing. Vilify means to
1: speak or write about in an
0: abusively disparaging manner. No, that's to right. To vilify... Oh, to
1: vilify mm. somebody. Even with the dictionary, we don't know what it means. I think vilified is the right word. I was just wrong. What were you saying? But <clears throat> basically, like, you, you get... You understand, like, people are just scared with this contrarian idea, but you, you get to the heart of what he means, and a lot of it makes sense. Um... So I would say read the book. Yeah, with everyone's
0: into, uh, deal with libertarians, we should talk about that at some point.
1: I know there's like deal. some
0: craze, like you can go way out, but I think there are a lot of libertarians. like, I don't know. It's such a negative thing to be a libertarian, to be, we can talk about that another time. I, I also think it's
1: fascinating to me because I'm, I'm all for it. I think there are a lot of areas where it, it fails. And I actually listened to Teal talk about yeah. long term societal costs. Villainize is a word, I think. Oh yeah, look at me, um, look at us.
0: Yeah, I I just saw. Uh, I forget on what podcast or what show it was on, but someone was saying privatize roads and like that's where you got to stop. It, it's there's some crazy things, but
1: yeah. I forget where that was. There, here, real quick, couple uh, couple yeah. other quick takeaways. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I like how with a company with a startup you're trying to build a cult, create this cult. Of, no, he said, don't do that. Well, you no, you do. You want like. Everyone full-time, fully invested, as much ownership as possible. Just, yeah. Like, you are not clocking in and out. You're, you're willing to work and you don't even look at the clock. You're yeah. so excited about what you're doing. Um, <laughs> and also, he talks about kind of the, the clean energy tech movement, clean tech, and how that failed. And he could tell it was failing because you'd have all these people coming in and, in suits. And he, he's like, all right, people with suits clearly aren't the actual techies that are making... The, the quality stuff so he had a rule of like anyone that comes in with the suit just kick them to the door they're kick on the curb whatever oh i at.
0: think this was the first book to Where again this was 2014 but i think he was talking about like just wearing a shirt and jeans like why why are we so uptight when it comes to wearing a, a suit and tie like why is that the status
1: recurring theme be yeah. casual in the world
0: you yeah exactly and i remember when i i read that 15 or 16 that's when i like stop dressing up for things you know like if i had an interview like i wasn't going in a button that like well that's, that's
1: just not funny enough uh sorry to jump in but mm-hmm. uh with like when i joined this dating company thing they're like don't be the try hard that gets in a suit when he's going out to a nightclub like just wear a cool t-shirt or something just be a
0: just, freaking normal person <laughs>
1: like just dress nice and, and casual and that's actually a lot of people at brown like you look at them and they're just their shit looks elegant but casual and like, yeah normal I think the
0: Sigma made all their freshmen wear suits like every Thursday. That was kind of funny. (laughs) (laughs) Just walking around campus in suits.
1: Yeah. Oh, hazing. hazing. Last last thing I want to point I want to make with not enough attention on sales. And there's this uh, what's I forget the movie that they reference, but basically the nerds hate the sales guys because the sales guys are just, you know, hanging out, shooting the shit with people. But they don't realize like good sales looks like that. It looks casual, normal. And uh and it's so important. He says it's at least as important, if not more, than the actual product itself. You need to be able to sell, otherwise you don't have cash flow. You can't grow the business. Yeah. Um, so he he then put a, a heavy emphasis on like
0: it's okay to advertise. And that going back just now is kind of difficult because I've been in this Seth Godin mode. Uh Seth Godin, Derek's you know, like, um, don't advertise your 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 diehards will like find you and they'll grow from one to 10 to 20. Um, so then Peter Thiel's like, no, like, you know, advertise to, to grow. And, and I'm kind of stuck in the middle now.
1: He, I mean, he does basically you, a couple calculations that you should know. Yes. One is the lifetime value of your customers. So have that number. Like, what is this person? What is Henry worth if he's buying my product over time? And then what is your cost to acquire Henry? That's customer that's the big one for me Is is customer acquisition. That's right like, so yeah. you can you can still market like you can take the free approach that you'll do with you know reaching out on Twitter and seeing if people share stuff um or you can just invest but make sure the the lifetime value of your customers is at least 3 times what's the cost right. to acquire that customer is right. usually like make sure the cash flow makes sense like if if it pays off in 10 years but you need money now then that makes no sense but right. um that's a big one and then the other one what the shit is this
0: You want me? Can I give one more?
1: Oh, no, no. One real quick with people sharing with each other because this happened with eBay. Actually, I want to talk about that real quick with eBay too after this. But uh, you want this virality coefficient. I actually think in the lean startup, I heard it first. Mm, But Yes. yeah. With, like, say you know, Henry is a viewer of a Smart Nonsense podcast. Is he going to share it with one person? Is he going to share it with two people, three people? And so that coefficient, if he shares it with three people, is three. And the higher you get, then just the more quickly you're going to grow as a company.
0: Which gets into network effects. Like the, the strongest, best companies you could build right now, at least, are companies that, that leverage network effects. And, and basically, that's the notion that like um, your platform, your business, whatever is more powerful with more people on board, right? Facebook is nothing without more people on board. I remember Snapchat when it, it, it was invented. A buddy of mine, we were all, 10 of us were sitting in the basement and one had Snapchat. He was like, Yo, guys, like, I just got Snapchat. You can send pictures and they delete after 10 seconds. Like, you have to get it. That's a
1: network effect. He couldn't use the app without the nine of us also using it. Um, So it's kind of a chicken and the egg, though. Yeah. They talk about, and you can see this with Uber. I remember it's like, uh, that's why he talks about dominating the mini markets, like, be the monopolist. Because if you're trying to be, and we'll talk about this tomorrow, but like, um, a company that's connecting people you don't want to go for the whole world or united states like focus on your niche maybe it's yes. just chicago or like a, a subset of chicago uh that's the best way you can start growing there and then right. expand same thing with facebook yeah okay Harvard. so we'll talk about
0: that tomorrow um kind of along those lines the last thing at least for me from this book it was chapter 12 um and i go back and forth with people on this a lot but it was basically humans versus robots and uh, yeah um cool. Yeah, so I think there's this obvious. Well, it's obvious. Like robots are taking people's jobs, and I think there's this fear that we'll get to a point where computers can do everything. And I think to say that it is really untrue. Um, Peter Thiel says, "You know, stop, stop worrying about computers taking over the world or taking human jobs. Like, like the two things don't compute, right?" And I remember watching an interview. I think it was on Marquez Brownlee's Computer channel.
1: Computer compete? I'm confused.
0: The two things don't like like humans compete and compute. Okay. Uh, sorry, I can I might have confused the two. But I, I remember on Marquez's uh YouTube channel once he he was interviewing Elon Musk and they were on the assembly line and he asked him this question, like robots versus humans. Like cause there's still so many humans on Tesla's production line. And Elon's like, Yes, like computers are good at doing the same thing over and over again. But if there is, you know, a wire that's not in this XYZ coordinate, like the, the computer robot freaks the fuck out. Where the human just sees the wire, can grab it anywhere and like know what to do with it. Like those jobs, like you can never ever um have a computer take those jobs because humans are least, better.
1: Uh, because there's the issue of the singularity and like you know, if once computers get smarter than us, they're gonna instantly, pretty much instantly, uh take over everything. But one, he says, this is like not a problem for this century. Like that's 22nd century. We're not there yet. Uh, they're just doing basic tasks. But uh, but even with our own projects, like right now, we have automated transcription. Computer can talk about or say what we're saying pretty well. But you need the like the human touch for the last 5% to get it perfect or last 1%. Um, maybe that's getting better and better, but it's still like you need that. It's not going to be perfect. Um, So, it's it's that complementary nature versus substitution.
0: Right. And and there will always be new jobs to um, take care of new robots coming, right? Like, uh, the market will keep changing, jobs will keep growing, and then humans will just be left. And Naval says this a lot, Naval Ravikant, says, like, humans will be left to just the creative stuff, where computers are really good at crunching numbers and doing big data and sensors and all that stuff humans can focus on the arts and like the high level stuff. The fun uh, shit. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Last point I want to make is uh, with PayPal, they had this issue of sending money and they're like, let's send money over email. Cause it was so hard. Like you can only really send checks back then. So the only people that were really using their service was uh, immigrants sending money abroad to their families and stuff like that. That was the only real traction they had and it just wasn't working so they were like all right let's reassess our market like who should our ideal customer be and they realized people like henry on ebay that are transacting all the time they needed a way to send money so that once they realized who their market was they just crushed it dominated it because they were over 10 times better than sending a check or however you used to yeah do. that's what you used to do you used to send a check like in that the is mail insane.
0: or a wire it was craziness how did and- that
1: company even exist Like who would, who'd send I guess people, I've never written, they were like
0: e-checks or something. I don't know. It was wacky. And it was interesting because PayPal came to fruition. Like when I was six, seven years old, we've talked about the, those kind of first items I sold on eBay. And I remember it was like check versus PayPal and not everyone had gone over to PayPal yet, but here we are. And and they rule the, the world in terms of online, um, transacting. It's pretty crazy.
1: So one, uh, I'm finding that I like these book clubs more and more cause it solidifies a lot of takeaways in my head. I, I think kind of recapping for myself, it is the biggest takeaway is a uh, competition is for losers. That's his great quote. It's like find the market where you can just dominate it and make sure that you have some little secret sauce where you're 10 times better than the competitor. If you really want to succeed and, uh, Once you dominate that market, you can start to expand from there. And that's the best way to grow. That's it. That's it.
0: And, you know, he's not saying like, don't compete, right? Like, he's not saying, oh, every Etsy artist who's kind of just like competing with one another on this, like, don't, he's not saying don't do that. But he's like, if you really want to make technological change, technological, not just being computer technology, but like widespread change then you have to monopolize the thing you do and you have to be 10 times better, 100 times better than anybody else. Um, Yeah, that's it, Pap. I have like a whole bunch more points. Like you said, I love these book clubs because never have I like written up a whole page of notes (laughs) on every chapter of a book Um, and they live online so I can go back to them anytime. I I think it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so tomorrow, one, you have your homework. Two, we're talking about Dunbar, which is your project. We're going to get deep in that. Uh, but yeah, again, think about where we got to bring are. more energy. We got to bring more nonsense. Um. Well, I was dead. I'm feeling better now. I think I just needed to see a person because I was I was just locked upstairs. You, know? you got to get some fresh air. I did yesterday. I walked. I walked a couple miles. It felt good uh, listening to this book. So uh, we'll see you tomorrow, Belky. Uh, I'm gonna write down why I'm doing this whole podcast in my life. You do the same. Yes, and, and you need podcasts. from me a truth that. I
0: believe that most people don't agree with, right? I want to hear that. Okay, tomorrow. All right, see you then.